morning, everybody. It's good to be back home here in Lidditz, Pennsylvania. Woohoo! All right, great. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, uh, please get them ready because we're going to go through a bunch of different scriptures this morning. I'm sorry, I apologize. I do not have notes, and we don't have it for the screen either. So you, we need to do this the old-fashioned way, all right, uh, where you just, just get to listen, and I will hopefully slow down. In, uh, I was in South Africa and then Zambia, and in Zambia, they, they would say, like, please slow down, slow down, because I have an accent for them. And, uh, but it was good. So I bring you greetings from uh, the sister churches in South Africa. We had a great conference there. Just give you a little bit of a report of what uh, I was doing the last couple weeks. And uh, so they give greetings from them to you guys. There's four churches there in South Africa right now and some other developments. But it was kind of like the annual conference of coming together, an annual gathering uh, of everyone coming together and just celebrating what God is doing uh, in the churches, in the Dove churches in South Africa, and then I had the privilege of taking Tim Whitmer with me, many of you guys know Tim, uh, took him to Zambia with me, which was really cool. Uh, we went and visited the network that is in an engagement process right now uh, with uh, Dove Zambia, it would be the first uh, Dove Zambia churches, I guess, technically, and then um, we had the privilege, so we, we got to see some churches there and, and meet some of the leaders there, uh, launch Dove Missions Zambia, uh, maybe you saw on Facebook, and then we went to Livingston, which is where Dan and Regina Bumstead have their base, and some of you might remember or know Dan and Regina Bumstead, and I just have to tell you that I left part of my heart there at their orphanage, uh, and just it's amazing seeing what God has done. They have such high-quality uh, young people and good people there. I, I only met uh, the nationals that from Zambia and got to spend some time with them. And it was one of those times where we only spent a day together, but God was able to knit our hearts to what, what is happening there. And I met somebody uh, who Dan had personally trained and discipled on how to make disciples about four years ago. And his name is Whitaka. And Whitaka is this very humble, unassuming, uh, gentle Young, uh, not young, uh, you know, middle-aged uh, man, he's married, has six children of his own. They take care of also 13 orphans in their home as well. And God has used him over the last four years to plant 153 churches by making disciples. And right in the beginning of making disciples, they train how to make disciples. So it's a true disciple-making movement, right? And Dan uh, had kind of you know, taken him under his wing a little bit and uh, discipled him on how to do that and then sent him into the villages and commissioned him. And Whitaker said, yes, Dan, Dan, he said, go. And so I, I went. <laughs> and his mode of transport is a bicycle uh, who, with, that he's been known to travel 35 miles on uh, through the villages in Zambia around, uh, around Livingston there. And one of, his, one of his questions, so he, he, they want to officially get connected to Dove as well, but um, it was just a, a wonderful trip there. And so Nancy, so you guys get to see how this works, uh, a divine connection. So Nancy, he was talking to me, uh, and he said, listen, I need material to train children. I need pamphlets. I need, I need things to, 
to give because we're training children to make disciples between the ages of 5 and 15. I said, well, well, how much material do you need? He said, well, in one of our regions, we have 2,800 children who need trained. And so I have another place for you to go. <laughs> Amen. So, uh, yeah, we can connect on that afterwards. Amen. So, uh, but back here in Pennsylvania, you guys have been having uh, the, the uh, life's big questions, and, and this is the last Sunday that we get to to kind of tackle these, I believe, and that this last question uh, is, is healing for today? And so many of you know, you know, just kind of my personal stance on that, but I want, I want to give you just a, a real biblical layout on that. And so before we do that, let's just invite the presence of the Lord, because without him, it's not going to do anything. <laughs> Amen. So Father, we thank you for your presence here today. I thank you that each person is here uh, by your purposes and by your plans. I thank you, Father, for your word. We honor your word in our midst, Jesus. We thank you for your kingdom here. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you that uh, your heart is for us, and it is, your, it is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. I don't know, I, I think maybe I did not introduce myself, but my name is Merle Shank. For those of you who are here uh, for the first time or second time or third time. It's been like a couple weeks since I've been back here. Um, but uh, I'm the associate pastor here at Newport Church, and it's an honor and a privilege to stand before you today uh, to speak um, on behalf of, of this topic here. So uh, how I would like to go about this is I would like to start off first with what does the Bible say about healing? And what does the Bible say about God's will for healing? And then we're going to go into uh, some of the questions and, and things that develop out of that. So if you're taking notes, uh, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. Now we know, uh, so that's Exodus 15, verse 26. We know that uh, in, in Exodus, we have the children of Israel who are being taken out of Egypt. And God is leading them out of Egypt. And he is teaching them who he is, and he is teaching them how to follow him, okay? So when we're there in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, this is what it said. It says, he said, I will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God. Oh, sorry, if you listen carefully, excuse me. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all of his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. So we understand that the Israelites, just like us today, were dwelling in the world where there are diseases, where there are sickness. There's things that happen. Sin is in the world uh, from the fall of Adam and Eve. And so because of that sin, one of the results is there's sickness and disease. Things don't go the way that God originally intended for them to go because of mankind's sin and the fall. So God is speaking to the children of Israel and saying, listen, if you obey me, if you do all that, is in, uh, all that I've commanded you to follow me, I will, re I will remove from you. I will take, I will not cause you, excuse me, to I will not cause you to suffer any of the diseases that I've sent upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your God who heals you. So God declared that to over 3 million people, this is who I am. I am the Lord, your God, who heals you. If you go a, a couple chapters later, 
in Exodus chapter 23, verse 25, it says very, something very similar. It says, and you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. So this is God's introduction to the children of Israel of who he is and how he desires to function with them as his children. So God de declared this fact of who he is to several million people that God is the God who heals you and he is the one who will take sickness away from among you. Isaiah, let's just jump a, a few books forward uh, to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. And it says this, it's a prophetic scripture regarding Jesus. It says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now that word pain in this scripture is translated uh, uh, 24 times as sickness, sorry, 12 times as sickness, 7 times as disease, only 4 times translated as grief, and 1 time translated as being sick. That word pain there, so you might have a translation that says that he has borne our griefs, but uh, really that word uh, means, it's talking more about physical sickness and infirmity as well as emotional griefs, but, but the, the primary... Um, definition of that word is physical ailments. Okay, he has taken our pain and he has taken our suffering, which is our sorrow, pain and grief, both physical and mental. That is Isaiah. I, uh, Matthew quotes Isaiah 53. If you're taking notes, Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, it says, That evening they brought to him, being Jesus, many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. Tell your neighbor, all who were sick. Wow. Amen. And healed all who were sick. Verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So Matthew as he was remembering the book of Isaiah, he was saying, listen, Jesus has taken our sickness and our disease. And so he interprets that as physical. So it's, how many of you know it's important for the Bible to interpret the Bible? Right? So Matthew, he, is, he interprets Isaiah 53 as physical sicknesses as well. All right, so I, I know that in some circles they say, well, it's really about talking about uh, sin and spiritual sickness, but Matthew himself is actually talking about physical, physical sickness, physical ailments, and using the fact that Jesus healed people and cast demons out of people as proof that Isaiah 53 was coming to pass, okay? And in the Bible, we also see that uh, Acts gives us the testimony about Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth 
with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Amen. I love that scripture because it says that he was healing everyone who was oppressed by the He went around doing good and healed all who were oppressed by the devil. You know, there's, uh, there's so many scriptures that talk about Jesus healing people and the ministry of Jesus uh, for healing. And so as we look at that, we understand that it, you know, healing was God's will for that dispensation of time. Amen. Healing was God's will for that time when Jesus was walking on the earth. It was prophesied about beforehand. There was prophetic uh, actions and activity that had happened beforehand with the Old Testament, uh, with the children of Israel. Jesus came, uh, and he began to heal, and he began to to, uh, minister to people, and demons began to flee, and people began, uh, were healed and even raised from the dead. Amen. And so we see that historical response from the Bible. How many of you know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Amen? All right? So when we see Jesus, he hasn't changed. He, hasn't, he isn't up, up uh, seated beside the right hand of the Father uh, saying, well, that was just for when I was walking physically on the earth. He's not, he, he still believes in healing. Amen? All right? Jesus' heart is still to heal. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 is the, one, is the scripture that tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know that a lot more healings happened in the presence of Jesus than outside of the presence of Jesus. Yeah? Many more people were healed when Jesus was there physically with them than, they, than when they weren't, <laughs> when he wasn't. Okay, when they were in the presence of Jesus, they began to experience healing. Things happen. And, and yes, we, we have the scenario uh, where the Bible talks about Jesus going back into Galilee and says that he could not do many miracles or would not do many miracles because of their, their unbelief or because of their lack of faith. But that, I mean, many times we can camp on that and be like, oh man, like we just, we must not see healing because we just don't have enough faith. That's one instance out of the scope of Jesus' ministry where he is healing, he is touching people, you know, he is ministering to people. And so let's not just camp on, you know, on one portion of scripture trying to give an excuse why we have not yet seen healing yet. Is that good? I find a lot of times we get in trouble when we try and give definition to what God is doing or, or what we don't yet see him doing, when we try and, and give the reason why, that's when we get in trouble as, as uh, people. <laughs> and that's where heresies come from as well. Uh, throughout church history is when we try and give an explanation for why God is or isn't doing something. Uh, but it is our job to follow. It is our job to walk with the Lord uh, in our relationship with him. Amen. All right, so we see that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then we see uh, Jesus turns around to his disciples in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. If you're taking notes, Mark 16, verses 15 to 18. And I want to read that to you here. It says, And he said to them, Go into all the world 
and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, and they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover." For the first century. Is that what it says? No, no. Just they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Amen. Uh, full stop. Period. Okay. So Jesus, this is where we see this transference of the identity and the purpose of Christ being on the earth. So he was ministering to people. People were getting saved. They're getting to know God as their heavenly father. Jesus' term for, for God was father. The Pharisees and the Sadducees hated it. Jesus was introducing a new way of relating to God as their heavenly father. And he was, he was going about and he was healing and doing many signs and wonders. In Mark, and also in Matthew 28 and, and, and different places here, but in, in Mark 16, Jesus turns around and he sends out the disciples. He commissions them to go and preach the gospel. And then he says this. He says, listen, something is going to happen as you go. Something is going to follow you as you go. And this is what is going to follow you. These signs will follow you as you go and preach the gospel. So we see here that Jesus has tied, uh, uh, there, there is kind of the confirmation of the gospel in what happens in signs and wonders and miracles uh, that happens. And one of those is healing. Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 16, verse 20 says the, the result of them going, uh, as Jesus ascended up into heaven, he was no longer with them in physical body but he was with them in presence and spirit. In Mark chapter 16, verse 20, uh, it says, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. So the same signs that Jesus was doing is the signs that the apostles were doing and that the ministers who were there, and it wasn't just the 12 uh, who, were sit who, who were commissioned with that commissioning. It wasn't only the 12, okay? Uh, we see, if you go through, the, through Acts and through the New Testament, it says we see the same result later on in the New Testament in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. So as the birth of the church begins to happen... And as uh, their experience, as people see the same signs that Jesus did as the apostles did and, and as the, the apostles were ministering and they were going about in apostolic teams. And we know that in, uh, in Acts chapter 2, there was 120 people in the upper room that in, they all encountered the flames of fire. They all encountered the tongues of the Lord uh, on their life. It wasn't just the twelve. But they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and preach the gospel, to go and make disciples. 
And as people saw the same signs that were upon them, uh, the same signs on them that was upon Jesus, they were able to recognize this is the message that Jesus brought. This is what Jesus uh, has come to deliver to the earth. And they were able to receive the gospel from the hands of the apostles and the ministers in the early church in Acts chapter 12. Now, Jesus says something in John chapter 14, verse 12. He says something that's, that I love. In John chapter 14, verse 12, he says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Tell your neighbor, say, whoever believes in me. Jesus didn't, didn't, he didn't limit it here to say, listen, all of you under the sound of my physical voice, if you believe in me, this is what's going to happen. He says, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do or she shall do. Tell your neighbor again, say, whoever, whoever believes in me, yes, that's right. So this is, this is what we understand, and this is actually what was understood throughout the New Testament, that Jesus was resurrected, he was ascended to the Father, he uh, had asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to lead and empower the church in sharing the gospel, giving the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the church as described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, giving the church tools to minister the gospel and the love of Jesus to the world as the Holy Spirit willed. That's what was understood, right? Yeah? It's interesting to me because, uh, so I'll stop yelling scripture at you now. Um, <laughs> uh, it's interesting to me, like, what has changed? Like, what happened, what changed that causes, you know, that, that even to the point where we need to ask the question, like, is healing for today? What has changed? Because when you read the Bible, when you read Scripture, and when you read the words of Christ, and you read the testimonies of the apostles, you, uh, you know, as even Paul, who was not one of the original 12, okay, when you read the testimonies of the apostles, and you see their life, and you see what they did, the idea that healing is not for today does not, does not ever come up. That idea that healing is not for today, it, it's, it's extra biblical. It's not something that you find in reading through the historical account, the spiritual account, the revelatory account of Scripture. You don't find it. You don't find it. And, and, and in fact, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Like, what are some scriptures that people have tried to use to say that it's not uh, for today? We, we don't want to spend too much time on that. But really, you know, you do not find the idea that healing is not for today in the Bible. Nor do you find it in early church history. The early church, they, you know, that, that idea would have been totally foreign to them. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> you saying God doesn't heal? Like, no, no, no. Like, this just happened yesterday. We were sharing the gospel with this person, and we saw this happen, and, and they got healed. In fact, 
uh, this is, uh, by some historical accounts, this is why Christianity was so, even though it was illegal, it was so powerful in, in uh, the Roman government, in, uh, in the nations controlled by Rome, because of healing and deliverance. Not anything else, not the, not the skill of the orator, you know, not the ability of somebody to speak well or to preach well. No, the fact that people were getting healed and delivered from demonic oppression was one of the main reasons that Christianity expanded even inside of the Roman Empire when it was illegal and persecuted. Because people could not negate, they could not relegate, they couldn't say, no, that's not happening. You know, it's like the blind man, you know, on the, on the road, you know, cries out to Jesus. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't argue with that. Like, no, I'm, you know, he, he was, how many years was he blind for? He was year, blind for years, which means that, like, there was children who were probably young adults who spent their whole life walking past this man who was blind, and all of a sudden, he can see. It's undeniable. And those kind of things happen in the early church. And in, uh, af- you know, after the, the historical account of Acts in the New Testament, those are things that were happening. So I want to, this is kind of the pivotal point of my message this morning, is let's not waste another day believing things that God didn't say. I, I'm not saying that we have answers for all the doubts I'm not saying that we have answers for all the questions here this morning, but as Christians, we are not following our doubts, we're not following our questions, we're following Jesus. And so let's put our faith in what Jesus has said and the example of what he says is available to us. So let's not waste another day believing things that God doesn't say. Amen? All right, tell your neighbor, say, don't waste another day. (laughs) Believing things God doesn't say. say. Amen. All right, so the enemy tries to, you know, the enemy can have a heyday with this because we can, you know, he tries to bring uh, accusations and guilt and shame and, you know, says, well, you didn't get healed because you don't have enough faith or you didn't get healed because, like, your, your relationship with God isn't true, you know, there's all kinds of accusations the enemy tries to bring up, but there, the, you know, the, in the end of the day, that's not what God is saying, that's not what Jesus is saying, so uh, let's, let's look at what, what is the foundation, what are the things that have, have kind of crept into the church that has given license for people to say, no, I don't, I don't agree that healing is for today, first I want to talk about uh, what happened between the year 100 and 300 A.D., Okay, in church history, we're just going to spend two minutes on church history. What was happening is there were weird groups that were starting to kind of develop. There were weird groups uh, that were starting. Some of them were Christians. Some of them were were, uh, not really Christians. But they didn't really adhere to the gospel. And one such group or one such cult was led by one man and two women who claimed to be prophets and they would say this, they, they said that, listen, the end of the world, when we die, the end of the world is coming, and so there is, uh, after our death, there is no longer any supernatural activity that God is going to do because it's the end, it's the apocalypse, it's, it's the end of the world, it's going to happen. Well, they died, and the world didn't end, 
Um, but that was kind of, they, th- that was really the birth of what is called cessationism. And I'm going to explain that in a little bit. But cessationism is, is really the belief that the, the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit only functioned in the beginning of the church to kind of like jumpstart the church and kick it off. And then there was no more miracles. Okay. That idea actually started in these cults where they, they said, no, no, no. We are the last group of people that God is going to use supernaturally. And anyone after us, there's not going to be any more supernatural activity. So that's where, that's where that whole idea, up until that point, you don't get, you don't get uh, any of the early church fathers up until that point who would even think like that the Holy Spirit wasn't functioning and wasn't alive and well and, and that miracles weren't happening in the church. So uh, at that time, these cults began, and, and there was this, this kind of like, well, we need to wrestle with the, the cults and the truth of that. But um, So that's where the idea of, of the gifts coming to an end actually kind of started. And cessationism is a doctrine... So I want to give you the definition. Cessationism is a doctrine that says the spiritual gifts, such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, and healing, uh, and special knowledge, ceased in the apostolic age. It's a belief that those things ceased when the apostles died. It revolves around the idea that signs and wonders, including healing, was only present to validate what the original apostles were saying in order for the purpose to establish scripture, okay? So, in other words, the thinking is this, and it's not necessarily wrong, but it's, it's a little flawed. We'll talk about it. It says, oh, God needs a way to prove who the apostles were in order to establish their writings as scripture. That makes sense. It's like, oh, okay, well, we have, you know, Jim and Bob and, and you know, Bob preaches, and miracles happen, and Jim preaches, and nothing happens. So let's go with Bob. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that's, and, and, and that's okay, you know. But th- the problem is, so we get in trouble when we say the purpose of signs and wonders and miracles was only to validate writings of true apostles, Okay. That's something as mankind that we have ascribed or given definition to for, uh, you know, what God was doing. And that's where we get in trouble, okay, when we try to give the reason why. Because that's not what God says the purpose of signs, wonders, miracles, and healing is about. That's, that's not his purpose. That's not the purpose that God ascribes to it. That's the purpose that we have ascribed to it. And it breaks down quickly when we begin to understand that most of the apostles never wrote any scripture. Most of the apostles who were the ones who were supposed to be validating, their their ministry was supposed to be validated, the ones who were doing signs, wonders, and miracles, they never wrote any scripture. And then we have the apostle Paul who wrote a large majority of the New Testament who was not one of the original 12. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Tell your neighbor, say, "Uh uh-oh. Thank you for humoring me. You can tell I've been in Africa a little bit when, when I, like, demand that you preach with me, okay? <laughs> no disrespect at, at all. Uh, yeah, I just get lonely up here, and it's nice when you... 
<laughs> nice to hear your voice. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so what about all the apostles who never, never wrote any writings and therefore their writings are not included in the Bible? Uh, and, and again, so, you know, we talk about Paul. Cessationism uses the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, saying as a proof text, and it specifically says that love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And so what modern-day cessationists say is like, see, there's proof that miracles, tongues, uh, and, and um, prophecies are going to end. First of all, healings is not listed there. But does, has knowledge ceased yet? Has knowledge ceased? No. So therefore, you know, tongues and prophecy and all the other nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, all the other seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are, um, are still valid. Knowledge hasn't ceased yet. So um, knowledge hasn't ceased. Of course, the main problem with, with believing that uh, divine healing, prophecy, tongues doesn't happen anymore, the main problem with cessationism is that divine miracles still keep happening, <laughs> okay? Miracles still keep happening, and they, they have always happened throughout church history. Things that God is doing, miracles, legitimate miracles, uh, verified, still keep happening. And in fact, uh, you know, just for my own sake, because sometimes, the, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes the spiritual warfare in my own life, you know, I just get to this, I have gotten in, in I don't say this uh, you know, out of pride or shame, but just there's been times in my life where like, I just, man, like, Lord, what are you doing? I, and it's like I can't even remember what God has done. So in order for me to do that, I have to do what the Israelites did and create signposts. And I have a document on my computer that says, Merle, these are things you have seen God do. <laughs> and I have this long list of like, healings and miracles that God has done that I've seen. And just to encourage myself, because sometimes there's such spiritual warfare that it's like I can't even rem remember what God has done, you know. And so, so there's times where uh, we need to encourage ourselves in what God has done. Um, you know, some of the miracles that, you, you know, in, in the book that myself and Kevin Kazemi and Larry Kreider wrote, some of them are listed in there. Um, but, I, you know, I love miracles that are kind of ongoing. Like I was watching uh, Sid Roth at Supernatural one time, and I don't know about everybody who's on there, but there was one guy who was on who had, he, and he showed, um, uh, it's a TV program for those of you who don't know it. It's, he showed these x-rays where his larynx, his voice box was sliced, and God had healed his voice box so he could talk. But medically, it was still sliced so doctors would take you know his x-rays and be like there's no way you can talk but you're talking like this is like it's not just that you were healed like this is an ongoing miracle that's happening like you shouldn't be able to talk uh, another uh, a minister in HarvestNet when I was there with the with the school they went down with Randy Clark to Brazil and there was a gentleman who was missing an eyeball Okay, and the eye socket was filled with silicone, and like a glass top was put over top of it. And um, they felt to pray that, like, Lord, I just see you giving somebody an eyeball, <laughs> and they, you know, they prayed about it. 
And this man began to see. But you could still see, when he pulled back the eyelid, you could still see the silicone. He was seeing through a fake eye. That's cool. I mean, that's like, wow, okay? You know? So it's one thing to be healed, amen. It's another thing to just be like, bionic man, you know? <laughs> I mean, so, you know, there's things like that that, that um, we can encourage each other in. Theologian Dr. John Ruffman describes uh, really kind of how this whole idea of cessationism, and there's a whole trail of how it developed in early church uh, from between like about 300 A.D. up until 1500s till the Reformation and kind of how it was set the stage. But we're just going to talk just briefly about this. And this is really why we have this question in church today is, is healing for today is because um, during the Reformation, they had to have a proof. And this is why cessationism is a big deal in some churches and some circles today. They had to have proof against the Roman Catholic Church because the Roman Catholic Church never denied theological, uh, theologically never denied that miracles take place. And so as the reformers, and praise God for the reformers, there was a lot of wonderful things that they did, but they weren't perfect. And so when people would come to them and say, listen, there's miracles that are happening in the Roman Catholic Church, how can we be right and they wrong? And so what the reformers did is they reached back in history, back to the idea that was birthed from some of these church cults, and said, oh, those are false signs and wonders. The Roman Catholic Church is the Antichrist because that doesn't happen anymore. And they brought the idea of cessationism into evangelical uh, Christianity, into the Protestant uh, Reformation, which forms the, the foundation of evangelical Christianity. And that's how we got where we are today, where there was a reach back because they, you know, the, the, the popes were still, um, they were still, you know, proved, I don't know what's, is it venerated, I don't know, they were still proven by miracles. There was never a rejection of miracles. And so there was this, this need to say, to be able to say, oh no, that's wrong. That's evil. God doesn't do that anymore. So if there's anything like that, it, you know, it's not legit. And so um, they needed that, the reason in order to, uh, you know, keep people away from the Roman Catholic Church um, during the time of the Reformation. So obviously the Reformation, again, brought many good things uh, and many corrections into the body of Christ. But the idea that the gifts of the Holy Spirit no longer function also provides a very convenient excuse for people who are not sure why they're not seeing the gifts functioning in their own life. So it's, very, it's a lot easier to say, oh, well, it doesn't happen anymore than to like, commit to times of prayer and fasting and building and growing our relationship with the Lord. You know, It's just easier to say, well, it's done and dusted. Like, my experience doesn't tell me so. Um, and I like what Kevin Kazemi uh, said, who is a friend of mine, if you don't know him. But he says, I want the Bible or I want uh, theology to be defined by, I want my theology to be defined by the Bible. I want my theology to, to not be defined by my experience, but I want it to be defined by what God says. Amen. 
So when we look at, you know, I, I don't want to derive my theology from my experience or lack of experience. I want to derive my theology from the Bible, from what God says. And so this has also, you know, kind of created space for religious lies to prop up, uh, to pop up in, in Christianity. We're going to end here very quickly. It's, but some, you know, some say that God is glorified by our sickness. Well, if God is glorified by our sickness, why do you go see a doctor when you're sick? Why do, you know, why do we go see a doctor? If God's going to get glory out of our sickness, why do we even bother? We don't. There, there's something inside of us that says, this is wrong. This shouldn't be that way, okay? So God's not glorified. Though, though we understand that God can be glorified through who we are as we go through any challenge or situation, it, it's not the sickness itself that glorifies God. It's not that sickness itself. Um, you know, another, another lie of the enemy is that God makes us sick to sanctify us. Doesn't the blood of Jesus sanctify us? So it's, I mean, are we, do we believe that the blood of Jesus is enough? Or do we have to go through some extracurricular, like your sin was especially bad, so you need the blood of Jesus and five weeks of kidney stones? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> okay, I mean, but, you know, these are things that, that lies that have crept into the church. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus sanctifies us and the blood of Jesus is enough. Amen. Amen. All right, if God being sovereign, you know, if he is sovereign, then, you know, we can also then blame him for sickness. Uh, that's another lie. God, the Bible says that God is not the author of any kind of evil, which includes sickness. It's clear that sickness started at the fall. That's where sickness started in the, in the earth. All right, it wasn't in the Garden of Eden. Another lie that kind of can trap people in, even in, in church and in charismatic churches is that uh, that healing occurs through a simple faith formula. This verse plus this verse plus this verse, and you should be healed. You know? And then all kinds of questions arise when maybe it doesn't happen. Like, you know, there's times it does happen, then there's times it doesn't happen. And, and all kinds of questions can arise. And, and then the enemy brings those guilt and shame and, you know, all of this stuff. And I'm going to share a little bit uh, about what my perspective is on healing because of just, you know, what we've seen the Lord do and try and grapple with some of those experiences as well where uh, we also buried people that were dear to us and, and we loved. But I want to first declare this over us. Psalms 103, verses 2 and 3, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all of your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Amen? We don't doubt that God would forgive sin and pardon iniquity, but sometimes we can doubt that he would heal. Okay? All right, so we never forget, never, tell your neighbor, say, never forget his benefits. All right. Okay, let's not forget the benefit of healing either. All right, so let's talk just briefly, and then we're going to close up here uh, this morning. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gifts of healings. Plural, gifts of healings. So it's not just a gift of healing that like, oh, you have it and, you know, everybody you pray for gets healed. No, it's rather, it's gifts of healings where, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know uh, how this all works all the time, but like, 
You know, I have friends that, like, man, when they pray for people and it's, it's people with sick, certain sicknesses, those people tend to get healed. You know, they can pray for somebody with a headache and nothing happens. But, like, knees, they're good, you know. <laughs> Some, a friend of mine in Europe, like, he's an older gentleman. He's like, man, like, we've just, we've just seen God heal cancer so many times. He's like, I don't pray for back pain anymore. I just pray for people who have cancer. <laughs> you know, I mean, just like, you know, you got you to gotta know your lane and stay in it, right? <laughs> but like, <laughs> there's gifts of healings that the Lord gives as he wills, you know, as all the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But, but recognize that. And so, you know, th- and this is one thing that I believe, that it's relational, Okay. It's relational. It's not just a principle. It's not just one verse plus another verse plus another verse. It has to do with your relationship with God and relationships with others. Do you know how many people have gotten healed after forgiving somebody who has hurt them in their life? And, it, yeah, you know, it, it's, it can be like, when did this sickness start? Five years ago. Was there anything else that was going on in your life that was negative five years ago? Mm, my spouse divorced me. You know, and then, uh, you know, in walking through forgiveness, that person winds up getting healed by releasing and letting go. I also believe that um, there's, you know, it's in relationship, it's relationship with God in, in our everyday active present walk, but he also calls us to not be uh, islands on ourselves. And I, uh, you know, I, as much as it would be nice to be able to, like, to be able to like, okay, I'm just going to go away to the mountains, me and my Bible, and I'm going to come away with all the gifts of healing because I'm just going to go and spend time in the presence of the Lord. God doesn't do that. He requires that I'm able to go over to a friend of mine or to somebody that I don't know who is flowing in miracle signs and wonders like that and allow them to pray for me. Like, I ha- do you know, like, I know that there's a belief that, like, well, if God can do it over there, he can do it here today in my room. Yes, but he doesn't always do it that way. <laughs> like, sometimes we just got to humble ourselves and go get prayer. I the crazy person out there who, like, is screaming or whatever they're doing, you know, uh, uh, as long as they're, bi- you know, biblical and Christian, okay? <laughs> but, you know, God has not called us to walk alone in that sense. Like, we have to be open and willing to say, hey, like, I, I recognize that this person has a, a, a gift of healing like that and on their life, and I need that. I'm, I'm going to go, and I'm just going to, I'm going to be a part of what God does around them. Yeah? Okay, this is, this is uh, kind of the real point of what I, I believe and see, is that uh, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, as that comes we see more and more signs and wonders and miracles start to happen. Not just through like gifts, but there's times in worship services where somebody just gets healed. Not, nobody prayed for them. It just starts to happen. Because, I mean, this is what Jesus would say to many, time, many times to people is like, the kingdom of heaven is here. You know, your faith has made you whole. And there's something about the kingdom of God that as the kingdom of God, as heaven comes, you know, is kind of the modern terminology popularized by Bethel, you know, as heaven comes to earth, you know, let, and that's, you know, through 
uh, the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we need to pray that. But as the kingdom of God comes, there, these things are signs of the kingdom of heaven coming. Signs and wonders, prophetic words, healing, that happens. And it's not because of like, oh, you don't have enough faith or, oh, no, we need to corporately just desire that and hunger and thirst. As, as Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. What things? If you read it, it's the things that, you know, the things that concern the body, uh, food, clothing, the things, you know, I believe that's also healing. It concerns your body. Uh, things that the Gentiles seek after, you know, those kind of things. That, those things happen as a result of seeking the kingdom of God first, the reign and the dominion, which is the kingdom, the reign and the dominion of God, as we seek his reign, saying, Lord, I surrender, I humble myself, I come before you, I ask you to cleanse me. If there's any wicked way in me, I ask that you would show it, reveal it, I want to repent. God, I want to position myself aright. I want to come into alignment with your word, your will, your purposes in the earth today, in Newport Church, and we cry out for and we hunger for the coming of your kingdom the coming of your presence and your kingdom in this place and we say like Jesus taught us to say let your kingdom come let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven God let it be so on off, uh, uh, with us Lord if there's a, a dispensation or if there's a portion of heaven that you have given to the earth for this time we want to see it here we want to see it in our midst we don't want a diminished portion we don't want just a tithe of of, every, of, of the things that you say we can have in fullness. Lord, we want everything you have for us on the earth today. Amen? And that's, you know, as our hearts, as we position our hearts for those things in worship of the Lord. The Bible, you know, talks about uh, uh, the Lord's um, throne being built in our midst. Well, his throne is kind of like the center of his kingdom, Right? You know, the, um, your throne is built on the praises of Israel. As we take time, because what happens in, in worship is we align ourselves, we align our hearts. Uh, and this is why, you know, many times things happen in worship, is because worship is about aligning our hearts to the purposes and the plans of God. And there's a moment in, our, in, in time that happens with God in that place where his throne, which is his judgment, his righteousness, his justice, his mercy, is established in our midst, and things that are not according to his will are brought into judgment. Amen? So, and this is why we pray. This is why we fast. This is why we ask. This is why we hunger. Not because of deficiency. Man, the enemy tries to get us to get all religious and be like, oh, you're just not enough. You need to do more of that stuff. And that's not the reason why we pray and fast and hunger and, and gather together and worship. It's not because of deficiency. No, no, no. It's because of what God has available for us. We say, Lord, let it be in, for us. The purposes and the plans of God will happen. It's just a question of, Lord, is it going to happen in my generation where I am? I want to see your kingdom. I want to see what you have for Newport Church manifest now, like in this season. Amen? Can we stand together? If you're here this morning and you say, man, you know, I, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ, or it's been a while since I've actually really set my heart to seek his kingdom, because really that's where it starts is the lordship 
or the kingship of Jesus in my life. You know, the Bible says that, that uh, in the beginning, God created the world, and it was in perfect fellowship and harmony and relationship with him. But as mankind sinned, as Satan led a rebellion against God, and mankind followed in Satan's rebellion, being obedient to, to Satan, what happened is sin entered the world. Sin came in and it broke the relationship, that, that perfect unity that we can have with our Heavenly Father. The thing is, He's the one who knows why we exist. He knows who we are, the true identity of who, who we are called to be. He know, he, the Bible says that He dreamed about us before time began, before we were ever born. He knew who we are. And so in that place of a relationship that was broken because of sin, Jesus came. God sent His Son to repair the breach. He would be the repairer of the breach. He was the one who came and took the penalty for your sin and for my sin by dying on the cross. The Bible says that the wages of sin, the payment of sin, what we deserve because of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus died. He shed his blood so that we can come in back into relationship with our Heavenly Father so that we can come into his kingdom again, so that we can be reconnected with the one who knows us and knows why we exist and knows who we are. That's the gospel. That's the good news, that Jesus has made the way for us to be reconnected. But it takes us coming into the kingdom to say, Jesus, you are my king. And making him king the ruler, just as he was back in the beginning, in the garden, making Jesus that supreme ruler again and say, I surrender and I submit to you. And I want to tell you today, you know, the benefits of that will last long after our own lives. It'll last long after our own lives are finished here on the earth start now. It's not, it just doesn't start when we die. It starts now. And we're reconnected to our Heavenly Father, the one who knows us, knows why we exist. So if you're here today and you say, you know, I, I, I need to reconnect with my Heavenly Father. I've allowed doubts, fears, or worry to creep in. I've allowed sin to come in, or I've never actually repented of, of my sin. I want to invite you to do that this morning. I'm going to pray here second, I want to invite you to pray along with me uh, for that. For everyone else who you say, yeah, I'm good, you know, I'm following the Lord, I, I, I believe what you're saying, I want to invite us to go into a time of just prayer for the kingdom of God to come. Say, Lord, this world without your kingdom isn't worth it. This world without your kingdom isn't the place where I want other people into your kingdom. I want signs and wonders and miracles to follow the preaching of your word. So if you're here this morning and you, you say, I want to come back to the Lord, I want to invite you to pray with me. And say, Heavenly Father, I come to you. I invite you to be the king and the ruler of my life. I believe that you sent Jesus to take my punishment, the punishment for my sins. 
give me his life as I lay down my own. I believe he died on the cross and was risen again on the third day. And in his life, I have life. I ask you to fill me with your spirit and welcome me into your kingdom. Jesus.